Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, fellow optimists. It's Sofia Tapia here, your host on the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics from the world's brightest minds. If you're new to Future Positive, in each episode, you'll hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. Continuing our Pride Month podcast takeover, we bring you the third in our series of interviews conducted by journalist Amelia Abraham with leading figures from the LGBTQ community who are impacting our world for the better. This week, Amelia speaks to Vincent Desmond, who is a writer living in Lagos, Nigeria. They sit down to discuss the issues facing the queer community in Nigeria, the very real perils of digital catfishing, and the power of social media movements. Glad to have you back. Now here's Amelia. To start with, hello and welcome. Maybe you could tell us a bit about the kind of topics you write about. I mostly write about culture and identity, and basically how like these two different things often intersect and stuff like that. And I'm very passionate about like LGBTQ issues, especially as it affects us here in West Africa. And that's like mostly what I write about. Cool. And we should say you warned me yesterday that uh, you're in Lagos right now and it's a very loud city. So if we hear some background noises, that will be why. Oh, yeah. it's Lagos is always noisy. Like, I don't think there's ever a time where Lagos is quiet because there's always like generators. There's always people moving about. So it's kind of 24-7 noisy. And I'm used to it because I've been here for like a while. So, but to other people, it's usually very off-putting when you're in a call and next thing you know you're hearing like like someone's hammering something or like it's like a very huge narrator at uh, the window or something but yeah okay well we're we're embracing it <laughs> um so it's it's pride month yeah Ju- june is pride month yeah and uh i wondered you know what does what does that mean for you are you are you sort of celebrating or protesting in any way i think for me for pride month is mostly like it's a very good time for me to just sit back and look at um all the changes, all the growth that the queer community has witnessed here in Nigeria over like the last year from now to like um the last Pride Month. That's usually what I like doing. And then I particularly like like speaking to people and writing about, you know, stories that kind of feature our realities. That's generally how I spend my Pride Month and that's what I'm kind of also doing this month as well. 
So you're talking about LGBTQ plus rights in Nigeria. Could you give us a bit more of an overview of where they're at? Over the last few years, let's say two, three years, we've kind of gotten into this place where it's a bit harder to ignore the LGBTQ community in Nigeria because there are a lot of like really young, well, I say people like generally from like the Gen Z um, generation who are kind of very open and very vocal and visible about their sexualities and identities. So it's we're kind of headed to this place where even if you you're, you're not you're, you're homophobic, you you still cannot deny that there are queer people in Nigeria, which is very very huge because a, a few years ago we're kind of in a space where people were like, oh no, there are no queer people in Nigeria. That was kind of the um general consensus yeah so every and because of that it kind of there was like no reason to have conversations about lgbtq rights because they're like well they don't exist here in nigeria but over the past couple of years with like social media and stuff like that like we have these bold people who are uh, talking about their sexualities in public spaces doing protests being out and that has really got us to this place where it's harder to ignore and I think that's a very huge step in like the right direction for us. I mean, obviously, it's not where we want to be. It's not where, like, the, the right um the movement is in other countries and stuff. But it's extremely huge for us here in Nigeria. Amazing. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And what's in terms of the law in Nigeria, um, around uh, homosexuality? Wh- where is that currently at? Um, it's still like it hasn't really been much. Um. Well, I say changes as for that is just it's the law still the law still exists. It's still criminalized. It's pretty much as many parts of like the queer existence in Nigeria, but for some reason it's just people kind of just disregard the law at this point. It, there's a very huge spirit of just disregarding the law while also being very cautious because you don't want to be the one person that they decide to use as a scapegoat. There was like a, a case that, just, that was at the court for like a very long period of time of people who were caught. And that was the very first time that people were trialed based on like the SSMPA. So no one really wants to be that rare case of the person who is who like been taken to court and stuff like that. But there's still like the spirit of the law exists, but if you're smart enough, you can almost always get, get around it. So but there hasn't been like new conversations about um, revisiting the law per se, because I feel like there's so much happening in Nigeria these days that people always like, you know, put the queer conversation like at the bottom of the barrel. So that's where we are at. And social media has been playing a huge role in LGBTQ plus rights in Nigeria. Yeah. I wondered if you could just explain a bit more about that, because that's something you write about a lot. So one of the very um, huge parts of the SSMP, this um, Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act in Nigeria, is that it criminalizes associations that advocate for queer uh, rights, and it criminalizes even queer people coming together in like a physical space. So the, 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 this particular bit of the law was what really, really like made it almost impossible to advocate for queer rights because everyone is aware of the fact that if if you do get caught like with other queer people, that's illegal. That's where you could very easily get arrested and stuff like that. So that physical distance was just very much out of the picture. Even when queer people want to hang out, they have to do it under guises of things like book clubs and stuff like that. So 
when that like the internet became like much more popular in Nigeria, it became like a way for us to get around that law. It became like a way to congregate as a community without having to be together. So it's kind of like this loophole that we found. Yeah, so the way to ha- you, you connect with your community without having to physically be in a, sp- in a space with them, it gives you this level of anonymity, it gives you this level of freedom, this level of safety. Because you're in your house, committing with this huge community across the country. You're in your house ha- having conversations about LGBTQ rights, learning online stuff. So it's that's like the role that the internet and social media plays for queer rights in, in, in Nigeria. It allows us to do things that we can't, we literally can't do in Nigeria. It, it allows us to bypass like this whole legal aspect of it. And something you've written quite a lot about also is the risks that queer people can face when using social media and also using dating apps in Nigeria. I wondered if you could explain the concept of keto and some of the risks that queer people can face. Basically, a keto is just someone who 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 uses social media, dating apps, anything of the sort to kind of catfish a queer person. They're really like, like a straight person who it's taxi, you're pretending to be queer, with like a date or something like that. And then when you hang out with them, things go bad. They could they could either blackmail you, they could physically abuse you, they could sometimes they actually do kill queer people, like stuff like that. So it's that basically what that's like the general sense of what a keto is. This thing kind of started I it generally started from Facebook before it kind of grew to like Grindr, Twitter and everywhere. It generally just started from Facebook. As queer people started using um the internet as a way to connect with other queer people, both to make friends, hook up, find community and stuff like that. A few straight people kind of like became aware that this was a thing that was happening and they knew that this law exists and this law scares queer people. So it became like a way to cash out of it, to to to, to make money of the fact that we can't report to the um to the police, we can't seek justice or anything. So that was generally how we started. It started as a way to just cash out of like a very horrible situation, um, that, that the queer community is in. That's generally how the keto things started. And then of course, naturally, the more violent homophobes also started getting involved in it, and it became also just a way to harm queer people and stuff like that. And it's, it's the, 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 I think for me, the weirdest part about Kito is that it's gone to this point where they are literally organized. You get like around the country, like there are people who like they spread information of like this queer person that they have said that could be in this other Kito's um, area and stuff like that. So that's. I think for me that's the wildest part, like the fact that it's organized, like certain not not all of course, but like certain um groups are organized to that point. And that that's what really makes it particularly scary for queer people. I think something we should add as well is that this doesn't just exist in Nigeria, although in Nigeria there's this word yes. for it, keto. Uh in other yeah. countries around the world, catfishing of LGBTQ plus people goes on and takes various yeah. forms. This happens in Russia. For instance, um, there have been cases of it happening in Morocco last year. And then also um, earlier this year, a man in Belgium um, was killed in a hate crime by uh, people that arranged to meet up with him over a dating app, a gay dating app. So it's a global issue, isn't it? And you've also written about 
some of the ways that we might be able to prevent this happening. Could you yeah. explain more? But I think the very first step is for like me, um, tech companies to realize that as amazing as these apps are, these apps pose a danger to people in the LGBTQ community. I think that's the general first step. Then from there, we need to create ways to actually raise awareness, ways to authenticate identities. It's just, and the, and the thing is, it, 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 I find it a very complex um, listen, conversation because if you if you think about like maybe authenticated identities, then what about the people who do not want to reveal too much like government biodata and stuff like that? So there's there, it's a, it's a very fascinating and also very complex um, subject. But I think one of the very first ways to do it is to raise awareness. There also has to be a level of responsibility on the part of this media. I'm sorry same media, uh, these tech companies, there, there has to be a level of responsibility for them to realize that if they are creating these apps, they also need to understand the way that these apps, as amazing as they are, can pose danger to like some of the most vulnerable groups in the world. I think that's like the very first step that needs to be taken. They need to realize the dangers like these apps like constitute for us. And in terms of how that might look on the app in terms of more protective functions, what are some uh, ideas? The very first thing for me that I think I would like to see in these apps is access to, like, when I say NGOs, basically organizations in these local um, areas that help and provide support. Like in Nigeria here, we have um, TS Nigeria. Having those kind of access in those apps would go a very, very long way because there's a level of, um, because the way the queer community is, it's kind of very decentralized. There's no you know, giant board. I don't know if that makes sense, but like this giant board of NGOs or this um, something that we can look at and say, okay, this is where we go to for help if we are in danger or something like that. So if something like that existed within this app, that would go a very long way so that even if you, a, a queer person, unfortunately, falls prey, they know this is the very next step. This is what to do. And even if, if things like that were even inbuilt to the app, it would be a bit harder to fall for for um this thing. and they are like um little I don't want to say companies but basically little organizations like Kito Diaries here in Nigeria that um help report and kind of map out areas with Kito activity and things like that think th- things like that kind of basically just use like the experiences of other people who have fallen prey um their knowledge and stuff like that to kind of map out an area but it's not infallible it's far from infallible but it goes a very long way because that way you know okay these areas like this are hotspots of um keto activity areas like this are places you should probably be a bit you either stay away from or just be a bit more wary around so i think working with like those local groups is really how tech um, giants can actually make um notable changes Amazing, thank you. And I'd love to know about the ways in which this situation in Nigeria has affected the way that you use social media and dating apps. And I'd also love to know how you would like to be able to use social media and dating apps. What would that look like? Personally, I actually don't really use dating apps because of like the whole thing. I, the general idea of like falling into that kind of trap really scares me. So I, what I do when I use dating apps, I just basically scroll through and that's it. I never meet anyone often because I'm very hyper aware of how left it could just go. And because I kind of have like an 
online profile where I am visible to a certain level as a queer person, it's it's very easy to like have a target on your back by homophobes and stuff like that. So I generally do not use dating apps and I actually don't really like meet people off like the internet except there's a level of trust. So I generally don't. I think the way I would really like to use dating apps is just, I would personally just like to use it like basically anyone else would and not have the fear that the person on the other end of like the gadget is someone who is probably planning my demise or something of the sort. I think that's just, it's, it's very, it, it sounds extremely simple, but when you're like a queer person in somewhere like Nigeria, that's, that's very like far out of your reach. But for me, I just generally would like to use different apps in a way that I can have like this level of trust, this level of sureness in me that whoever I'm talking to does is just like one corner, you know, making plans or arrangements to either um, steal from me or physically harm me or something of the sort. We've talked quite a lot about the power of social media in you know, LGBTQ plus visibility in Nigeria. And I know that social media has been really, really, really important in other wider civil rights movements. So could you talk a bit more about that and particularly NSARS, explaining what that is for anyone who might not know? Generally, NSARS was kind of a nationwide protest against police brutality in Nigeria, and in particular against um, a particular police unit, which is the SAS. Um, SAS was generally created for like special crimes, armed robbery, murder, kidnapping, like the more violent crimes. But like over the years and over as time went by, it kind of, well, it just lost like what was supposed to be the initiative and the kind of got really into profiling people they would just look at someone and just say you, you look like a thief you look like a fraudster and the only reason they say that is because you have dreadlocks or you're using an iphone or or you just basically judge that you sh- someone that looks like you shouldn't be in a car like this or something of the sort so it just it became extremely brutal it became so widespread and it, 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 the the violence got from like just maybe extorting money to like beating people up to killing people. So it, it it got to a point where it was like almost every day we're hearing multiple stories of people being harmed, being killed by SARS, and it, it just got to like this breaking point um, around um, October last year, and basically it just got everyone out in the streets protesting. And it wasn't like technically the, the first time that. People had protest against um, SARS. It has it happened like in the years before, but every time, the government would be like, "Oh, we are scrapping SARS," and it just won't happen, and we'll be back to where we started again. And that was genuinely just what happened with SARS. It just got to a breaking point, and everyone was tired of it because basically almost any Nigerian you you meet has had like an, a bad experience at least once with SARS. I've had my roommate has had like almost any everyone I know has had like bad experiences, like really bad, scary, I might die kind of experiences. So that was, everyone was traumatized and everyone was, you know, out of it. So that was basically what happened. I, I think because it was like this, everyone was feeling very similar emotions. It became easier for people to really organize and mobilize together. So that was essentially what happened. And why was this a really important moment for the queer community in Nigeria? I think because, um, 
like I said, over the, like as time has gone back, there's been a bit more visibility with the queer community. It's harder to deny that they are queer people. They're, like, queer people are here, so that could not be denied anymore. And during NSAS, there was this level of unity, would I say. So when the protests were happened physically, in Lagos and Abuja, people, queer people were going out with player cards also, because the, the, the Nigerian police, SARS in particular, have a history of targeting queer people for looking queer, whatever that means. But they have this history, so it's like, as much as it's a general Nigerian problem, it's also a specifically um, queer problem as well. So it, it's also like a queer issue. So queer people were very much at the, at the forefront, like this protest, Lagos, Abuja, everywhere. So when the protests were happening, like everyone was very visible. And I don't think that has ever really happened where we're visible on like such a national scale and in such like a national moment. So that was like a very huge deal, like when it comes to like Nigerian questions, because that had never happened before. Uh, because of how decentralized it was, it was happening here, it was happening in Lagos, it was happening in Abuja, it was happening in Benin, it was everywhere. Like queer people everywhere were so visible. That was just such an incredibly like powerful moment that was very much unplanned so yeah i think that particular that 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 really noted like i, I won't say that nigeria was like very progressive during that period or like there was no homophobia there was but the fact that there was homophobia and yet we could still do stuff like that so visibly in such like a huge scale i think that was very very historic and very, that really marked like that change as little as it's happening in its very own slow way it's actually happening in nigeria so I think that was really something. So overall, social media has been incredibly important tool uh, when it comes to LGBTQ rights in Nigeria and beyond. How do you hope that we kind of keep using this platform for good in terms of LGBTQ plus rights? So I already think personally that social media is doing like a lot of good in um, in places like Nigeria in particular. I, I do think it, it falls to the humans First of all, is on the app because there is a lot of trolling, there's a lot of homophobia and stuff like that. But I think in general, we actually ha- are headed to like what I think is a good direction. But I think right now, what would be really helpful is kind of a level of support from like these tech companies and these um, social media companies. Um, let me, I, I would like to use like Twitter as an example because. In the past couple of um, days, the Nigerian government banned Twitter in Nigeria because Twitter took down a particularly threatening-ish kind of tweet. And, but Twitter has kind of shown a level of support with the way they followed up the issue, with the way they've been answering up to the issue. And even all the way back to NSAS, Twitter like showed a level of support to like the Nigerian, um, to the NSAS course and stuff like that. So I think... And that particular thing, what Twitter did, really was a thing that particularly helped NSAS, the NSAS movement, like kind of get this global attention that as much as we did not get the answers we were hoping for, and as much as the issue did not get solved, it made like the right noise. It definitely helped. It really changed and kind of got something started. And I think that kind of support on that kind of level can actually be a game changer. I I I I I think I, I think because it it got the government so shook that for months they were planning social media abuse, different ways to ban social media assets because they were genuinely scared because that level of organization, that level of mobilization has never happened before. And that was entirely thanks to Twitter. 
and the kind of support that Twitter gave to the cause. So I think what's needed now to really ensure that it's kind of entirely or at least mostly steered towards the right direction is support from the social media companies and support in the right particular ways where their help is needed in the right way to platform these voices, platform the right voices and really listen to like people in like this local context to understand what's happening and how it's happening. I think that was what Twitter did. And that was a very rare case of like someone like with that much power actually listening to the right people and knowing enough on how to promote and platform those voices without really talking over them or making it about them. I think that was a very special. But I won't lie, I, I, I think Twitter app most times is a lot of times can be trash and unhelpful. But that particular um context they they did they hit like a lot of the right notes. And I think a lot of social media and tech companies in general, if they can follow the um path that Twitter did during NSAS so much good can be done with social media and technology in general. Amazing. Thank you so much, Vincent. That's amazing um, feedback. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Future Positive podcast. If you'd like to support our show, share this episode with fellow futurist friends, and remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Your feedback does help. podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at xprize.org. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.